What's your favorite color? When you chose the most recent paint for your bedroom, why did you choose that color? What's the color of your favorite clothing? What color's your car? Have you ever thought about what shapes your taste in color? Welcome to Prairie Design Lab. I'm Terry McLeod, the host, producer, and writer. And we're coming to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. Prairie Design Lab is a collaboration between university faculty, students, graduates, and allies in the design and architecture community worldwide. Today's episode has a deceptively simple title. It is just color. In it, we're going deep on the part that color plays in our lives through design and architecture. And to do that, we're joined by three people who play a large role worldwide in exposing us to new ways of thinking about color. First, we turn to Samantha Duha, the fourth generation of the Duha family in Winnipeg to operate the Duha Group. They are in the global color industry and they're involved in trend forecasting, graphic design, color consultancy, color palette development, and the manufacturing of innovative printed color collateral for the global paint, automotive, fashion, and cosmetic markets. Hello, Samantha Duha. Hello, thank you for having me, Terry. How did the Duha family get so involved in the color industry? So as a fourth generation member of this family, I'll take you all the way back to uh, what would be the 1940s. I'm going to apologize in advance for all the Emmerichs in my family. So I'm going to refer to them <laughs> by their number. But the Duha Group was started as Duha Printers Limited um, in the 1940s in Winnipeg. And it was started in uh, the North End in my great grandfather's garage. And he is Emmerich Duha VIII. And in the beginning there, we, we printed everything um, and anything. So from bingo cards to catalogs to tourist brochures, we worked very closely with the community and local clubs. So it was very much uh, a Winnipeg-based printing activity. And then, you know, our beginnings were, we were very modest with uh, one very ancient printing press located, like I said, in, in our family home. So my great-grandfather, really his determination and his vision for, um, you know, printing in Winnipeg that brought us to where we are today. With that said, it wasn't until um, the 50s and the 60s that was led by my grandfather, so Emmerich the Ninth, um, that we started to really specialize um, in the area of paint. And the reason for that was because there was uh, an influx of, of paint companies and manufacturers in the prairies at that time. And my understanding is it was something to do with the, the grains and the oil and the grains that were used in, in the paint. And so they started coming to us for uh, paint labels for um, paint cans and such. And then that kind of evolved into asking for um, color charts. And if we were started, if we were able to produce accurate colors that they were selling. And so it was my grandfather that really understood that in order to survive in an industry such as printing, we needed to niche down, we needed to find our specialty. Then we uh, uh, started to manufacture color marketing tools. Um, and so that was my grandmother, so my, my grandfather's uh, wife, Gwen, and his sister, Margaret, my Aunt Margaret, that really kind of were the foundation of the color collateral world. What kinds of clients do you have worldwide? So we work with small to large paint companies around the world, beginning under my grandfather's regime and then continued on to my, in my father's regime that we started to develop strategic partnerships around the world with other paint manufacturers that were, you know, our competitors, but um, maybe specializing in, in different areas of the industry. Through that, we were able to expand our services and really service paint and coatings companies around the world. It's a company that's not widely known in Winnipeg, but 
when I did my research, you are all over the world. You're a secret success story in Winnipeg. How did you achieve such global success? Again, I have to relay that back to my grandfather and my father in developing those relationships. Our management team, our partners team, they're an incredible group of individuals. We typically do meet every year, but unfortunately with COVID, we're we're digital only right now. So it's the shared vision that we have and really connecting the world with color and bringing innovative color solutions to our customers and always thinking outside the box too. Um, you know, printing can be, a, depending on which way you look at it, can be a pretty unexciting industry, but we like to look at it through a bit of a different lens and always thinking about what new materials, what new content, what new discoveries we can bring to the market and to our customers. I mentioned in introducing you that you do trend forecasting, graphic design, color consultancy, color palette development. Where do those fit? in the color industry. So our very special team in in the UK, which was our most recent acquisition, which is in 2016, is Color Hive. And they specialize in exactly that, color consultancy. So what's interesting about Color Hive is that they work with any company that works with color. So it really has grown our uh, customer base in terms of who we can work with and what services that we can truly provide. So up until Color Hive, you know, we were so focused on the manufacturing and, and innovation in manufacturing, but now we are able to offer those creative services to our customers. So, you know, in terms of a paint company, sometimes they may not know which colors that they want to bring into their stores in the following year, or they want to revamp their whole color system comes in Color Hive. They have the eye, they have the regional nuances, they have the, they have the education and the sheer talent, I should, I should really mention that, it really comes down to talent and having that eye to be able to look at uh, an industry, a market, and apply their knowledge as to what colors they believe will sell over the next three to five years. Many of us have driven past your headquarters up near the Winnipeg airport. What actually goes on inside that building? Here in Winnipeg, we, we do refer to that as our headquarters. So we have, we have the full operations. So from pilot matching to coating, dispensing, pre-press, press, and finishing. So um, all the way from the beginning, let's let's take a fan deck as an example. You know, we'll match all the colors, get them approved the, with the customer. It'll go through the coders. Those finished sheets will go off into the finishing department. They'll have the color names printed on them, any artwork on the back, and then it would be collated, married, what, uh, whatever, put into boxes and um, shipped out of our factory here. And a last question, what kind of visible impact do you think Duha has in the international world of color? That would be our Color Hive division. They are our vision of color. Um, when we envision uh, ourselves in the future, we envision ourselves under the Color Hive branch. And the reason being is because they truly embody where we want to go in terms of how we work with color. So yes, our, our beginnings have been and our core of our business today is manufacturing. But we don't believe that that will necessarily be the future in 20 years from now. But color consultancy, picking the right color at the right time will always be essential. And that will always be filtered through the, through the lens of our Color Hive team. Samantha Duha, thank you so much for joining us. I know you've got another Zoom call to get to, so we'll let you go. But we have two more colorful people standing by. Thank you so much, Samantha Duha. Thank you, Terry. Let's turn now to Marie Rouillon. Uh, she's a London-based French material designer who graduated with a master's in design from the University of the Arts in London. She is currently trends and color consultant and stylist at Color Hive and Mix Magazine, which Samantha just mentioned, a company that's part of Winnipeg's Duha Group. Hello, Marie Rouillon. Hello, thanks for having me. And you're in London this morning, yes? I am indeed, yes. Samantha mentioned Color Hive. What exactly does Color Hive do? So, Color Hive, uh, 
We are a London-based creative agency and we create trend and color strategy as well as content and marketing tools for our clients. So I would say um, our clients typically come to us for medium to long-term color planning. So, well, basically they'll come to us to ask her which colors to select for their products and they'll need these colors to be really suitable and obviously commercially viable for uh, periods of times that are usually between three to five years. I've also looked very deeply at Mix Magazine, which you publish. It is a stunning magazine, deep, complex, full of ideas. What purpose does it serve for Color Hive? So Mix Magazine is uh, our main publication and we're incredibly proud of it. It's uh, available for our Color Hive members. And so it's mostly addressed to people all around the creative industry. So I would say our members are product developers, interior designers, uh, architectural practices. Uh, we have a lot of textile manufacturers as well that read the magazine, uh, electronic brands, uh, car manufacturers, and then all the designers you can think of, so graphic designers, fashion designers, product designers, fine artists as well, craftsmen, and all these people come to Mix to get uh, color insights and color trends. And what do you do to offer them those color insights and color trends? How do you know what those are? Basically, it's a lot, lot, lot of research and a lot of work. So to be able to accurately forecast the colors that we publish in the magazine, we analyze uh, things that we call the drivers. So these are the, the signals, the drivers. They are the social, economic, technological, environmental, all the influences that are going to have an impact on our life uh, in the future. And therefore, all of this is going to be influencing consumer preferences. When we're able to travel, we travel a lot. We go to shows, we go to international exhibitions. Uh, we talk to experts, obviously, that's very important. We talk to experts in their fields, experts in their regions as well. We have a really large pool of collaborators that we talk to on a regular basis uh, because we need to always keep track of what's happening uh, across the design industry and across the world, of course. And then we, of course, do a lot of online research, especially in 2020. That's particularly true. So, yeah, for instance, I think I receive about 100 newsletters every single day. So I have to read all of these. So I want to make sure I don't miss, a, you know, a product launch or a new exhibition. What are the forces that shape color trends? Well, <laughs> literally anything and everything can have an influence on a color trend. So we take a look at uh, yeah, environmental factor, socioeconomic factors. Now, looking at the election of the Democrats in the United States, their color is blue. The Republican color was red. What do you expect to be the impact of Democratic blue in terms of color trends? Would that be something that you'd be looking at? It certainly would be, yes. In, in particular, at the moment of the elections, we would definitely be looking at these colors. Then whether they're going to have a longer impact, it depends. So that's another thing that we look at. We look at the color timeline. We look at colors that have an influence right now, colors that are going to have an influence in the future. And we're really able to predict which colors are going to last longer and which ones are going to last less time. So, And we also track all of these colors across seasons. I was fascinated to discover that you have color advisors in virtually every region of the world. We certainly and, do. And, and so what do they do? There's many, many things that can influence color preferences. And regional color preferences are certainly a thing. So when we 
predict colors uh, within a trend, we'll then talk to our regional uh, advisors to understand if that trend res resonates with their region, resonates with, because it's really important for us to know if a trend that we've predicted will have uh, an impact on that region. So we usually forecast trends that are quite broad, quite wide reaching and global, but then we'll define these more specifically by talking to our um, regional contributors to know whether the colors are perhaps right. Perhaps some colors will need to shift ever so slightly to better answer the consumer preferences of that region. And are there cultural differences? Looking at Mix Magazine, it's pretty obvious that it's your feeling that cultural preferences be between Asia or Latin America or Europe can be quite different. Absolutely. So cultural differences are very, very important. But I would say there's things that are even more important, such as landscape differences and things like light. So for instance, if you ask someone who lives in Scandinavia to pick what they think is a natural green, chances are they're gonna be thinking about a Nordic pine forest, and they're probably gonna pick a dark green with blue undertone. Now, if you ask that same question to a person from Latin America or South America, they're probably gonna pick a much brighter green, a much more warmer shade, much lighter shade, simply because that's what nature looks like uh, in that region. So that's what they're used to. But then there's also things like light. The sun doesn't hit the earth in the same way, whether you're in the far Northern hemisphere or if you're right under the equator. And there's things like atmospheric conditions and cloud cover uh, and the seasons. I mean, all of these can really affect the way a color is perceived. I mean, even just in your house, you know, like my, my bedroom is south facing and it's painted in a really quite pale, um, really neutral gray. And I see it most days as beige, you know, it's really quite warm. Now my office is north facing and it's painted in the exact same color and it always looks blue. So you can really see how the way light hits a color really changes our perception of it. So it's really important when working with color to take all of that into consideration. You do color evaluations for hotels, for cosmetics companies, for car companies. What do they want from you? So, yes, we work for a lot. Well, our clients come from many different uh, industries. We work, for instance, with companies that might need us to identify maybe gaps in their um, range. So for instance, if it's a paint company, we might uh, ident identify gaps in their fan deck. So maybe we'll look at their entire range and we'll identify maybe if there's areas that need to be shrunk or areas that need to be expanded, or if maybe new colors need to be introduced. And we do that obviously thanks to our knowledge on the near future consumer preferences. But we might also not decide to change anything in their range. So we help a lot of clients uh, identify key colors in their existing range and we'll then uh, identify some of those colors and group them and turn those into trends. So we'll create a trend book or maybe a trend brochure or maybe a digital presentation for these clients. And that really will help the client communicate the colors through a new storytelling approach. Because essentially that's what trends are, they're stories. We're here to help them tell their consumers which colors to pick at a specific time and how to apply the colors as well, in what proportions, in what combinations. That's fascinating. I hadn't realized that there were so many factors that influence our choices in color and the way that we see color. Could you stand by for a moment? Because I want to introduce you to uh, Rodney Latourelle, and he's with us from Berlin. He's originally from Winnipeg. He has a master's in landscape architecture from the University of Manitoba. He currently works between Canada and Berlin with his partner, Louise Wittroft. 
As an installation artist, architect, and writer, his professional work centers on the relations between color, experience, and space. His installations have been exhibited all across Canada and around the world. Hello, Rodney Latourelle. Hello, nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Great Hi. to be with you this morning. And uh, Marie, uh, meet Rodney. Nice to meet you, Rodney. Hi. Nice uh, to meet you. Rodney, just curious, what was your path from Winnipeg to living and working between Winnipeg and Berlin? You know, I studied architecture. Um, there was an exchange between some German and Canadian students. Uh, so some German students came to Winnipeg. Later, they invited me to Berlin to do a project. So I was in Berlin in, in 2000 for a few months, and I really enjoyed it. It was fascinating. It, you know, it was a whole different context. It, in 2000, it was still a city full of wastelands, full of possibility. And later in 2003, 2004, I was invited to uh, an artist residency in Stuttgart, called Schloss Solitude. Again, more introduced to the German context, was also able to make trips around the country into Berlin. And at that time, it was very easy to move here. So after my residency at, at Schloss Solitude, where I, I did a number of projects, I moved to Berlin because it was cheap. There was a lot of creatives meeting. You can sort of meet anyone. The social milieus mix all the time. And it's a very informal culture. And it's also a very kind of chaotic city in a very, you know, very strict ordered country. There's a lot of contrasts and, and there, there's a lot of, there was a lot of possibilities at that time. And since then, you know, 15 years later, there's been a lot of gentrification. Yeah, in any case, it was through a uh, love of art and architecture, through an artist residency that I came to Germany. And I didn't think I'd stay in Berlin for so long, but I met my wife here and um, my fate was sealed. What is your relationship with color as it manifests in your work? My work is really all about thinking about color as a spatial structure. You know, I, I studied architecture and I was always interested in painting as someone who wanted to work in, in both fields. I really wanted to, to combine them. Architects, they don't think about color very much. It's a very neglected aspect of space. More recently, there's been much more thought and, and consideration about color in terms of space and architecture, but especially when, when I went to school, I think most architects, color is a secondary thing. And I really believe color is not a secondary thing, that, it, that it's a primary thing, because I, I think about color through perception. So when you're designing and you're, you're drawing a building, you have to think about color and how it's perceived. Um, and I sort of tried to combine ways to structure space using color and using uh, color as a way to differentiate areas. It's a lot about just making differences between things using colors. Many of your works have a beautiful three-dimensional quality to them. Why is that important to you? It really comes from a spatial interest, a curiosity about the apprehension of space uh, and the sensuality of space. My whole thing is, is really to think about space through color and to structure space with color. Can't talk about it, can try to talk about it, but it's elusive, it's, it's very deep. It, it, it affects you emotionally, you know. I also use color and colored space to talk about other conditions, usually neglected aspects of, of architecture and the environment, such as structures that we take for granted. Such as what? Well, one of my projects was um, looking at stepped forms that exist in 60s and 70s, kind of often brutalist architecture uh, that sort of structure semi-public space. In my work, I really try to give infrastructure agency. So I think about the way things are structured and I, I try to 
bring them forward or bring them into a realm where you can notice them and discuss this idea of visibility and invisibility, really frame things through color. In a recent project at the rooms in St. John's, Newfoundland, called First We Take Museum. I use the structure of, of a wall, temporary walls that exist in a museum. I just build stud walls and these are in different colors. They're colored in different ways. They're colored uh, ingredients. They have reflective surfaces on them. So it's basically just building the frame of a wall, but picturing it in color. Something from the background becomes into the foreground and, and the infrastructure acquires a, a kind of agency. It's all about just framing the space and framing the people in the space allowing people to actually do what they want in the space. People could actually use the space as, as a platform to perform or, or give a talk or something. But it, it was just a placemaking experiment using a stud wall, a, a basic architectural element, as an example of, of something that I sort of frame using color that we take for granted. How do you go about choosing which colors are the right color? Yeah, this is the golden question for everyone. I've also asked this question a lot, especially to architects. And the answer is always the same. It's always intuitive. You know, I've studied physiological and psychological systems, you know, in regards to color and even esoteric systems. And these were very influential of abstract painters in the beginning of the 20th century. Been a lot of exhibitions recently about the origins of, of abstract art um, and its connection to esoteric color theory or a, a perception. The way I choose color and the way a lot of people, I think, choose color is that, you know, if it has an impact for them, they assume it will have an impact for other people. Color is, is relational. So it's all about where the color is, the context. As you say, there's the light is so important. The color is going to be next to it, another color. So I always pick ranges of colors, um, more than one color. So it's, it's not just about picking one color. It's about addressing the, the idea of, of a difference. There's color, there's body, there's material. I think it's confusing because you can see a color on a screen and, and it's one color and you can pick a color. But in reality, color is, is fluid, is dynamic. This is the tension that, that I like to work with as well. Speaking of color and architecture, one of the things that I've noticed, particularly in brand new developments in the suburbs of Winnipeg, virtually all of the houses are the same color. And they're all a kind of color that ranges between tan and gray and a light gray everywhere. What's going on, do you think, in architecture where so many homes are built and then painted or put up with siding the very same color? There's a very direct answer is that people are afraid of color, for one. It's the same reason why when people sell their house, they paint the walls white. Everyone has their own personal choice. And if you're selling something, you want to make the most basic thing. And the other person that's buying it, you know, you know, it's paint. They can paint it if they want it. I, t I totally disagree with that. It is paint. So, you know, why not use the color to emphasize the architecture? Maria, if I could turn to you, do you think people are afraid of color? As Rodney said, I think uh, color does not really exist on its own. I think color is always seen in relation to other colors and the materials that it's applied to and you know, the impact that one color can have in a certain context could be very different from the impact of the same color in a different context. So I would tell you, like, for instance, at the moment, I think I'm quite into like orange, like I bought this really nice orange dress and I love wearing it, but I would not paint my wall in that specific shade of orange because, again, color needs to be considered in terms of proportion, in terms of combination and in terms of application. To answer your question, sorry, yes, people can be afraid of color in certain applications or in certain contexts, but not necessarily others. 
a good way to visualize that as well is like imagine a gradient from blue to red that's probably going to be quite reminiscent of a sunset. Maybe it's going to have a calming effect on you. Now imagine that same red and that same blue in like big color blocks, a bit like Rodney's work, actually. I can see like how he does those color blocks and repetitions of colors. And then you're going to have a really vibrant, very energetic kind of reaction to these colors, even though they're actually the exact same red and the same blue that you had in your, in your gradients. So that's where application and context is actually so key when considering color. I painted my house here in Winnipeg a number of years ago, a very dark, it's almost the color of pool table felt green. And then I painted the pediment around the front door, a color that's called approaching storm. And if you live on the prairies in Canada, an approaching storm is a very interesting, dark, purple, menacing color. But I found it so appealing and I found the name so appealing. <laughs> Do you help to name colors? We absolutely do. Uh, well, we have a dedicated team at Color Hive that does that maybe a bit better than I do uh, because of my lack of English vocabulary sometimes. But it's actually a really, really exciting exercise to name colors. So we name all the colors that we publish in our own forecasts and we tend to try and find names that are going to be really descriptive of the color. Uh, we spend hours sometimes uh, renaming colors for clients or even for our own forecasts. Each trend that we publish in Mix Magazine comes with its own name. Is there something that I didn't ask? Is there something that you were wanting to tell me or notes that you had made that you said, I really must tell Terry this? I really fight against this idea that color is, is a superficial aspect of things. People have the idea that color is a coating over top of something. And in many ways, you know, it is because you're embodied and because a color is also in a place, like an olive tree, green in the morning and, and blue at night. That changes the whole identity of the trees. I don't do architecture, but I'm hired by architects to pick colors that come to really define the building. They've done all the work designing it, and I try to use the, the proportions and the atmosphere and what they want to say with the building in a color context. Maria, final thoughts from you? Uh, there's another thing that we do at Color Hives that we also analyze the colors that um, are on the market right now and the colors that have been on the market for a few months. That also helps us predict where colors might go next. So when we forecast a color, we don't just like drop it the next season and say, that's it. We've forecast that colors for, you know, autumn, winter 2022. But we'll actually look at where that color is going. Maybe its color family is expanding in the next season. Maybe it's reducing. Uh, maybe the colors will stay exactly the same for more than a season. In fact, uh, we've uh, just recently started talking about these continuity colors, which is something that we're really seeing consumers really want, even in fashion. Fashion is quite uh, famously, you know, quite fast paced and colors are really bright because the, the lifespan of the colors are a bit shorter, but even in fashion, we see that consumers are now demanding things that are gonna last longer. So we see these colors that are really long lasting. And I find that really particularly interesting. Colors such as? Uh, at the moment, I'd say we're seeing a real expanding group of greens. I think biophilia is something we've been talking about for a long time now, but with the pandemic, this has been incredibly accelerated. I mean, exponentially accelerated. People are obsessed with plants, especially indoors, uh, because that fascination for greens has just been really accelerated. So the green group is certainly expanding. One to keep an eye out for. Final word to you, Rodney. There's something called color constancy, that the brain is basically making you not see the subtlety and the depth 
and the shadows around you. Your brain wants to recognize things. If you sort of fight against color constancy, start to look at an object and see all the related blues and not just the one blues. See the multiplicity in the one thing. This is uh, something important in my work. It's like when we take a picture, all of a sudden you see all these shadows that you just didn't see in real life. Mm -hmm. So it's because your brain filters nuance and gradation and, and shadow out because it wants to focus on cognition. So I think if, if you're aware of, of the way that you actually perceive things, you can start to turn it around and, and you can start to observe, find the wonder in, in anything. Thank you <laughs> very much. Well, no, thank you very much as well for the opportunity to finally talking to new people because, you know, with lockdown, I have only been talking to my work colleagues and my husband and that's about it. So this is actually lovely. <laughs> thank you, Terry. Thank you so much, okay, Terry. Bye-bye. Okay. Samantha Duha is the fourth generation of the Duha family in Winnipeg to operate the Duha Group. They have played an increasingly important role in the global colour industry for more than 60 years. Marie Rouillon is a London-based French material designer with a master's degree from the University of the Arts in London. She is currently a trends and colour consultant and stylist at the London-based Colour Hive Mix Magazine, a company that is part of Winnipeg's Duha Group. Rodney Latourell has a master's in landscape architecture from the University of Manitoba. Currently, he works from Berlin with his partner Louise Wittoft as an installation artist, architect, and writer. Prairie Design Lab is created by the faculty, students, graduates, and worldwide allies of the University of Manitoba Faculty of Architecture. I'm Terry McLeod. You can find us on Spotify and on Apple and Google Podcasts, and you can hear us on the radio on UMFM 101.5 FM on Wednesday mornings at 1130. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you.